Welcome to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. I'm Tom Keen, along with Jonathan Farrell and Lisa Abramowitz. Daily, we bring you insight from the best in economics, finance, investment, and international relations. Find Bloomberg Surveillance on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Bloomberg.com, and of course, on the Bloomberg Terminal. For our audience worldwide, I'm pleased to say on Bloomberg TV and on Bloomberg Radio, joining us now is the U.S. Secretary of Labor, Marty Walsh. Secretary Walsh, always great to catch up with you, sir. Demanding this economy. Just had this conversation on this program through the morning on Bloomberg TV and radio. Demand seems to be pretty good still. It's labor supply that's being held back. By what, Secretary Walsh, in your mind, and from the view of the administration? Say that one more. Sorry, I missed that question. Guy. What's there holding back labor supply, Secretary Walsh? What is holding back labor supply? Well, I think what's happening here, and I listened to you, the previous panelists, and you know, I pretty much agree with almost everything that was said. Uh, one of the things that we're still dealing with, particularly in the month of August, was the Delta variant. Uh, granted, we've seen a level off, leveling off of the Delta variant uh, this in the last couple of days here, last couple of weeks. But in the, in the beginning of July, the end of July, early August, we saw increase in Delta variant. If you look at these job numbers and you look at just look at take the hospitality number and the restaurant number, we had almost zero gain this month in, in that area. Meanwhile, the last three job reports, that was leading the way. So I think that that's part of what's going on here. And, and it, it is a long game. We're looking at the long game here. You know, we've added 4.5 million jobs since President Biden has taken office. Uh, this job report, the, w- the one thing that I, w- I would highlight is we had strong growth in the private sector, and I think we've seen growth in the public sector in previous reports, so, and we've seen some growth in manufacturing and auto-related uses. So, again, this is a long game. There is some other tools that we have to use here. We do have two pieces of legislation right now that we're moving through, uh, infrastructure bills that we need to get through, uh, but, but this is the long game right now coming out of a, a worldwide pandemic. Well, let's talk about those bills right now, Secretary Walsh. This is from Senator Manchin in the Wall Street Journal yesterday placing a strategic pause on this budgetary proposal by significantly reducing the size of any possible reconciliation bill to only what America can afford and needs to spend. Secretary Walsh, what's the response of the administration to that op-ed from Senator Manchin? Well, I think America needs investment. Uh, American people need investment. The American people need the investment in job training. Uh, the American people need the investment in the CARES economy. We saw again uh, in, in, in nursing home care and adult care, uh, loss of jobs again. This is the second consecutive month. Uh, we need investment in, in child care. We need investment in schools. Uh, th- these are good investments moving forward, and, and this will just continue to move our economy forward and continue to prepare us for the future of America. Uh, and I would ask, you know, I, I would hope that uh, we'll be able to, they'll be able to work the differences out in Congress and, and move these two pieces of legislation along. Do we need taxes on excess CEO pay to pay for that? Yeah, that's one of the, one of the plans that the president's been talking about, a plan to pay for this. Uh, he's made it very clear that, that anyone who earns under 400, over 400000 under 400000 excuse me, $400,000 a year will not be paying any additional taxes. And we're looking at adjusting some, some, some of the tax policy in this country and then using money, unspent money from the American Rescue Plan. So that's, that's what the president's plan is as far as paying this. Would something be directed specifically at corporate executives, Secretary Walsh. That's a story we have out at the moment that Democrats are discussing that. Have you been discussing that? No, I mean, that's a conversation that, that's, that's above what I'm doing right now. I know that this, this conversation is happening uh, in the halls of Congress. It's happening with the leadership, and, and that, that's, they'll ultimately make decisions on, on how to pay for this bill. Marty, have you spoken to Senator Manchin and talked about your thoughts on this labor market and what this economy needs? Do you pick up We're the phone and have those bit- conversations with him? 
Yeah, I was actually with the senator a couple of weeks ago. We were in, in a, we went to a coal mine in West Virginia, and we had a great day and a great chat. And we talked a lot about a lot. Uh, you know, and obviously the senator has his ideas and, and 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 recommendations and opinions, and we just need to continue to have dialogue. I think the beauty about all this is that we continue to have these open conversations. As long as both you have two sides willing to have conversations, that's a good process in moving things along. Do you see it as two sides, though, considering you're part of the same party? And the reason I ask you this, Secretary Walsh, there is a, a narrative in the media, as you know, that the administration and your administration's agenda is being held hostage by a single senator and maybe a couple to be kind. Is that how you'd characterise the situation? No, I mean, listen, I'm a former legislator from Massachusetts, and there's often times where I was de debating a bill uh, in, the, in the Massachusetts House of Representatives with the other side being my Democratic colleagues. And, and, and it, you know, as long as you have the dialogue, you can move forward. I mean, listen, lots of people have lots of concerns and opinions on what we need to do moving forward. Uh, and I'm supporting President Biden's plan. President Biden passed the American Rescue Plan, and, and what that resulted in was over 200 million vaccination shots, what that resulted in was investment into childcare, what, what, what that resulted in is moving our economy forward, 4.5 million jobs. You know, the president has a plan, the plan is working, uh, and we're going to continue to move down the, down the road on that plan. What did Senator Manchin say to you, Marty? What was your take on we that, Secretary Walsh? What was your we, take we didn't on get too discussion? much into the. We didn't get too much into the conversation about, about the particulars of these bills. But again, I know, I know Senator Manchin cares for his constituents and cares for the American people. And again, we just need to continue to have dialogue to, to, to move these bills forward. So you think that that is not a hard no, a red line from Senator Manchin? Secretary Walsh, in your well, opinion? Well, I'm not going to speak for Senator Manchin. I mean, he certainly is his own person. So we'll, we'll see as we move forward here over the next couple of days. I, I imagine you'd avoid that question as well, Secretary Walsh. So allow me to put it in different words for you. Your interpretation of his stance currently... For some people, they might interpret his words yesterday in the Wall Street Journal as a red line, a hard no. Was that your view? I, no, I wouldn't say it's a hard no, but I, what I would say is that we just have to continue to have conversation. Listen, lots of people have different ideas on how we move forward on these infrastructure bills. Some people think that the, these investments are expenses and we shouldn't be paying this money. All I know is that the investments that, that in these two infrastructure bills, particularly the CARES Economy Bill, are very important about moving, moving our economy forward. We, we've seen now here in America, we're talking about people that are not returning to the workforce, and part of that is, is lack of opportunity, lack of experience for different paying jobs. People want to get good paying jobs. We need to assist them by making the investment there. It's just like building a brand new bridge in, in, in a city or town in America. You build that bridge to get people connected to other, other locations. We need to continue to build that bridge by investing in job training and, and other important CARES economy issues. The Secretary of Labor, Marty Walsh. Secretary Walsh, you're kind with your time, sir. Thanks for joining us this morning. Right now, Victory lap and folks in the game of economics, it's awfully tough to do this. We suggested surveillance at 369,235 plus a revision. That is the new 400,000. Priya Misra absolutely nailed the call today. Priya, it's 750,000 jobs per month over the last 90 days. How will that affect the Powell calculus? Hi, Tom. Thanks for having me back. So, yes, it's a weaker report, but if you look at the three-month moving average or look at the other data, you know, it's, it's suggesting that the recovery is continuing. It's going to be in fits and starts. The reopening we knew was not going to be in a straight line. So we think tapering is still very much on the table. 
But we're calling for a December taper, not a September taper. I mean, November is possible if the next couple of reports are very strong. But later this year, they taper. And then we see inflation next year. We don't think they're hiking well until the end of 2023. So that's why I think the, the curve is uh, steeping Wait, today. Just, just to be clear, Priya, are you actually pushing back your expectation for the start of taper to December today based on this report? No, we've been, we've been calling okay. for December because we were looking for a weak report today. So just looking forward, Priya, what are you going to be looking for to get a sense of just how quickly uh, they could potentially readjust their expectations? I mean, we know that wages are somewhat skewed by compositional issues, but are there other aspects that have you concerned, like the labor participation rate? Exactly. So I think labor participation is a key one, particularly for the next couple of reports, because we know the supplemental unemployment insurance is running out. We know that schools are reopening. So we're really hopeful that people re-enter the labor force. Mm-hmm. And that's going to um, tell the Fed, particularly the doves on the Fed, I think will feel uh, vindicated that there is a lot of slack in the labor market. And until wage inflation properly picks up, you know, not because of compositional effects, which is what we think held the number up Um, you know, or or has been for the last few months, Um, you know, when it's true underlying wage inflation picks up, that's when I think some of that transitory narrative falls off. So that's really going to be key the next few months. We need to give uh, a very careful uh, shout out to James O'Sullivan as well. Jim O'Sullivan working with Priya Misers, doing all the heavy lifting here. Priya, when you talk to Jim O'Sullivan about Q4, what do you argue about? So we argue a lot about the pace of deceleration. Jim's had a great call, great call on the number today. Uh, you know, are we decelerating from a 7% first half GDP to a, you know, 3 4%? And what's the next step? Are we going down to 1% or 2%? And, you know, Jim is in the camp that things are decelerating. Reopening is fading. Some, the fiscal stimulus impact is fading. But growth is still solid and well well above potential, which will allow the Fed to exit. It's just the inflation right. question where Jim has a slower, um, you right. know, or a slowdown in inflation. So that's a, that's a key part of extent of deceleration and what's the longer term impact mm-hmm. on inflation. Those Pre- are the big questions. Link your bond world, your full faith and credit world, to the equity markets. We don't do that. We do that clumsily, I would say, within the media. Does the, does the yield mystery now support equities or create greater uncertainty for equities? I think uh, so. I, do, I don't think there's such a big disconnect between the two. I think the Fed is telling us they are tapering, <clears throat> but very slowly. The end point of the hiking cycle, the market has taken down that number significantly. Yep. If the Fed's only hiking to one and a half percent, that's a very bullish environment for risk assets. <laughs> so I'm less concerned about the Fed aspect. I'm more concerned if global growth slows down. Then that is something right. that the bond market is somewhat priced for, but the equity market's not. So I see right. it more as a growth concern rather than a Fed concern. Priya, one final question. Tell me about the x-axis duration here of all these moves that we're going to see. I mean, I I know we go out to December on taper, but do you begin to really extend out yield angst, if I can, to the middle of 2020, if not later? In, in terms of when we think rates will rise? Yeah, when price down, rates up. <laughs> right. Um, so I think uh, it also <clears throat> depends on the fiscal side. Do we get a three and a half or two trillion or if Senator Manchin saying nothing without an offset, how much of the offsets are we going to get? I think that's a that's a key component as well. But if the Fed starts to taper, there's a lot of supply that the market has to take down. So I think a mm-hmm. gradual rate rise 
in you know starting at the end of the year, continuing right. next year, I can see that consistent with tapering. Priya, to you and Jim O'Sullivan, congratulations on just simply doing market economics. We greatly appreciate your return this morning. Starting to see things change at the long end of the curve, though, Tom. So let's have a look at that and push through that 235, that big downside surprise on a payrolls report against an estimate of 733. Yields are on 30s now by about three basis points on 10s by two. However way you chop this up right now, there is a view on the September the 22nd meeting that that number will just anchor the hawks a little bit and stop them flying away and causing too much trouble yes. for Chairman Powell. Let's bring in Jeff Rosenberg on that of BlackRock, BlackRock's portfolio manager. Jeff, I want to start straight there, sir, with a downside surprise and your first interpretation, your first read. Yeah, the first read is, is definitely this has some Delta variant uh, on it. The mix shift uh, here is retails lower, leisure and hospitality, which had been contributing, you know, 400, 500,000, uh, doesn't show up at all. Uh, the wage increase that you guys were talking about, that really looks like a mixed shift here. And the disappointment is in those two sectors, and particularly leisure and hospitality, which speaks to, you know, potentially this Delta variant impact. Now, because that's the fingerprints, that's a temporary impact. And, and John, as you just highlighted, you know, the initial bond market reaction was lower yields, but now you're starting to kind of push higher in the back end. To me, that says, uh, the market's looking through this and seeing, hey, this is temporary. You know, if we talk about transitory inflation, we're going to talk about transitory uh, uh, Delta variant impact here, at least with regards to the market reaction. Uh, and, you know, a little bit of disappointment as well in terms of the labor force participation rate not budging. Again, you know, I think that's more of a temporary factor related to the Delta variant. So I think, you know, you know, the market was already, you know, pushing back in terms of, uh, expectations of when the tapering announcement would happen. This solidifies that in terms of the folks who were expecting something sooner or the hawkish viewpoint. You know, we'll get another month. Uh, everyone will look for that, look for the Delta variant, hopefully, you know, to come out of uh, the September uh, and even the October uh, reports as, yeah. as we wade into later this year for the tapering Jeff, announcement. Governor Brain has been on the money here for many people. Wait for the September data. Wait to see if the supply side of this economy will heal. Do you think they have the luxury of time on their side to wait for that? You know, they, they do in the sense that, you know, they're really going to be focused on the, the longer term implications. And, you know, they have talked over and over about uh, the necessity, you know, particularly Powell's speech last week, uh, you know, the, the need to not to react and overreact to short term developments. And, and so, you know, from that vantage point, they don't need to rush into it. And the most important thing not to lose sight of here is the emphasis that that tapering is not tightening. And, and once we get past this tapering announcement and they go on kind of an autopilot of each monthly reduction, you know, then we're going to shift this conversation and it's going to be about, well, what does this do to the path of future tightening? But that path of future tightening doesn't begin until maybe late in 2022. So they, they've got a lot of time here before uh, we get to that. How important is the revision upward for the prior month? The idea that it was revised from 943,000 to uh, more than a million, the idea that there was momentum and that perhaps this blip really is just a pause due to the Delta variant. 
It's a it's a good point, Lisa, and that's another you know part of this report. Uh, it, it is it reinforces how strong the labor market uh, was going into this Delta variant uh, impact, and, and and I think you know that may be what the market is looking through, you know. That this is this is a one-off uh, slowdown and not the beginning of a new trend, and that the the strength in the in the labor markets will reemerge as the reopening uh, recovers. Equity futures just fading a little bit here, Tom. Unchanged on the S and P 500, basically <clears throat> unchanged to negative on the Nasdaq. Now I'd be catching up with Rick Reader, Jeff's colleague, at the top of the hour, alongside Anastasia Amoroso and Mike Collins. We'll do that on the open, Tom, in about 20 minutes' time. Sounds good. Lots to talk about there as well. I just did the three months moving average of where we are with the double revisions. And I think away from the gloom of the moment, folks, this is a pleasant survive. Uh, Jeff Rosenberg, 2250, jobs over 90 days. And that comes out to 750,000 exactly per month. I'm sorry, Jeff Rosenberg, that's not a bad number. Not not bad at all. And you're reinforcing the the, the broader point, which <clears> is if you look through the noise, this is a, a very strong labor market, good recovery. You know, is there more room mm-hmm. to go? Sh- sure. Uh, you know, and, and that's what the, some of the points uh, many of the, the more dovish members have been highlighting. Uh, and, and that's, I think, the broader takeaway is that the reopening is happening, the, the recovery <clears> in the economy. You know, the thing that, that this isn't talking about and that the Fed is, is also going to be concerned about, and I think our focus will shift towards, is the impact of, of fiscal policy. You know, we're going to have a fiscal tightening, even with a, a $3.5 trillion stimulus plan. You know, that is not the same kind of stimulus as the stimulus that is rolling off. That's long-term stimulus over 10-year period. And so the Fed's going to be concerned about the impact uh, on economic growth of, of that fiscal tightening. Are you managing then... 12 months forward, 24 months forward to a 3% American economy or something, you know, we're getting back to where potential GDP is. Is that is that your overlay here as you manage bond money? That that is Tom and 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 it's it's in most of the the longer run forecasts. You know, we've had an an incredibly uh impactful impact on short-term growth from the combination of reopening and uh, uh, historic amounts of, of fiscal stimulus. That's going to roll off. And, and so what is really the underlying debate is, is or, or the overriding debate is, what's the underlying capacity of the economy and the strength of the economy and its ability to deliver? And most of the consensus views have you going back to that level. And, and the concerns on the downside is that right. you, you'll, you'll, you'll press even lower. And, and that's the argument against moving too quickly uh, and overreacting to what might be transitory impacts mm-hmm. on inflation. Now, of course, the other side of the argument is that we've done some serious structural damage to inflation, inflation expectations, the supply chain. The Fed has admitted, you know, they've underestimated the degree and length of how long uh, the restart economics would impact on the supply side. And so all that, you know, that's the growth well, side. Uh, but it's also the inflation side. Some interpretation here as markets reverse. NASDAQ 100 with a spike up earlier comes right back around to a modestly negative statistic. The VIX out to a 16.53. Lisa, the the 10-year yield, excuse me, higher now, 1.31%. Yeah, it seems like people are looking past the huge headline mess. And to really reiterate what Jeff was saying, they're looking more at the upward revisions. They're looking more at the momentum heading into what was a Delta-pocked month that really saw 
saw zero net jobs in the travel, leisure, and hospitality sectors, which is really shocking given where we are in the reopening. But Jeff, this really goes to the question, is the Fed getting this right? And does this data confirm that, that basically there is a lot of slack in the market? Or are we starting to get some concern with respect to the wage data, albeit you have to parse through it? You know, uh, honestly, it's it's too early to know. Um, you know, there's a lot of critique on both sides of of the debate as to whether the Fed is is making mistakes or not. <laughs> you know, one obvious concern is there is a tremendous amount of inflation, but it's not in goods and services prices. It's in assets, and you see it everywhere. And it's the asset inflation and the financial stability concerns. It's in the minutes. There are folks who are concerned about it. You know, if that ultimately shows up in a negative way, then you know the the argument will be, oh, the Fed missed it. But you know, given what we know today, it's it's hard to argue that uh, is the case right now. And so the Fed's focused on what's right in front of them, which is they don't feel the need to um, you know move preemptively, right. and that's the change in flexible average inflation targeting. So they're going to be reactive, and that's the the kind mm -hmm. of uh, Fed response yeah. function that we now live with. Jeffrey Rosenberg, thank you so much with BlackRock. Market economics will interpret this and they will make their tweaks. Of course, big news yesterday with Ellen Zettner bringing in Q3 uh, to 2.9%, uh, pretty prescient there as well. And then there's a wide market economics disparity. If you're on the buy side managing money, you have economists to take a different tact. That's a good thing always to speak to. And that would be Tiffany Wilding joining us from PIMCO. The bond, Lisa, this is the Pacific Investment Managing Company. You looked off into the distance, and I thought I maybe do. you could kind of see it. It's like a religious experience yeah. <laughs> to talk about PIMCO. <laughs> Tiffany, welcome. What they've done over the decades as well. Uh, Tiffany, if we're off a boom economy, what kind of economy is it now? Well, I mean, we look at this, and, and we think this is more of a soft patch instead of, you know, the beginning. Or there's of a phrase a from a long time ago. <laughs> Are you, is this the new transitory soft, soft patch? <laughs> well, I mean, so I, I think on the, on the uh, you know, kind of on the more worrying side, it does look like the, the slowdown that we're seeing as a result of the increase in cases um, for the coronavirus, as, and, and as a result of, of some of these um, supply chain bottlenecks, which appear to have also intensified, it does look like the slowdown that we're seeing in activity is a bit more pronounced. Having said that, though, um, you know, it still looks less than what we got, you know, at the end of last year when we had, uh, you know, the kind of the rise in new cases. And of course, um, you know, in, in March and April of, of last year at the beginning of the pandemic. Well, so it does look like the economic um, uh, hit from this kind of thing is, is becoming less. And, and, and we think that that, uh, you know, is going to re, re create a slow patch instead of the beginnings of a, of a bigger downturn. When does a soft patch or a slow patch become a bigger and longer problem for an economy that faces a number of pressures? Yeah, I mean, so I, I think that on the on the, at least on the on the COVID side, I think I do think what you have to worry about a little bit is that, you know, you have the longer that you have this pandemic that's kind of at top of mind for people, the the more solidified their new behaviors become. Um, and that obviously creates, you know, economic reallocation that could create slower growth as people want to just save more. You know, I think there's a whole host of, of potential issues that we have to, we'll have to deal with if that, if that happens. 
Um, you know, I think, again, you know, we're relatively optimistic still, um, you know, because you are still seeing uh, uh, people getting vaccinated. You know, of course, we're going to be talking about, about boosters here uh, relatively soon in terms of people actually getting them. So, you know, all of that, again, makes us think that, you know, th- this is something that we're, we're still going to get over. Yeah. But, but of course, we have to deal with that, that risk and, 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 of course, think about it. So we're talking about Ellen Zentner of Morgan Stanley, who joined us earlier. And another point that she made was that she expects two thirds of all the jobs lost from the pandemic to come back. And that means one third will not. Where are those jobs? Well, I, I think you have to be a little bit careful about that, because I think it's very easy to, to kind of look at jobs and, and maybe look at some of the technology and some of the innovations that we've started to see um, uh, folks implement, and you can say those jobs don't come back. But I think what's more difficult is to sort of open your mind and say, these are the new jobs that, that all of this is, is going to create. And I think that's much more difficult. Um, you know, and I think, you know, we're very open-minded, um, you know, in, in terms of, of kind of the new jobs and the new innovations that this is going to create. I think where we get a little bit worried is about a skills mismatch, you know, and how does the economy sort of manage a transition um, that we're ultimately going to, you know, have to face and that we are currently facing, Um, you know, and and we hope that that transition is smooth. But as we've seen in the past, you know, what economists call the, the, you know, the China shock, of course, where U.S. manufacturing came down, there's a a whole cohort of people that were really left behind. And, you know, of course, that's really what we we want to avoid. You know, the Fed, uh, you know, only has blunt tools to do that. Um, You know, and so, of course, Mm -hmm. that, you know, obviously is is fiscal policy that has to really step in and try to, uh, to you know, uh, manage that transition and help it along. Uh, Tiffany, one of the great things here is the partition of the labor economy that we talk about each and every day. And it does go back to John Edwards and two Americas. Can a central bank affect policy to help people that aren't part of the modern labor economy? Or is this all going to be about public policy and uh, private investment? Well, I mean, I think, you know, I'm pretty, I'm still optimistic that, you know, that, this whole idea of, you know, running the economy hot, the Fed being patient. You know, a Taylor rule right now would actually suggest that the Fed funds rate should be over 2%. Obviously, it's Well, right. okay. I looked so at that the, the other being, day. You're dead on. Thank you so yeah, much. The, Folks, on the, the Bloomberg Terminal, good. you can go to T-A-Y-L to see Tiffany Wilding's geniuses. Okay, discuss John Taylor Stanford's rule. Well, I, I mean, so I don't, I don't want to get too much into the, the Taylor rule, but it does suggest that the Fed should be raising rates as a result of the inflation that we're, we're seeing, but they're not. You know, and, they're, and again, the reason why they're, we're, they're not is because they do want to run the economy a little bit hot because they do think that there are, there are gains to that. There are benefits. Um, you know, and those benefits can be people starting to come back to the labor market. Now, your question was, even if people are coming back to the labor market, have yeah. their skills atrophied, are they ready to come into the new jobs that this mm-hmm. economy needs? You know, and, and, and I think what you saw, the interesting thing is, is what you saw in 2017 and 2019, when we were also running a hot labor market and a hot economy, what you saw is folks were, recom- uh, were coming back to the labor market. Not only that, but you're actually getting um, some of the employers retraining and reskilling them. So they're hiring people that okay. maybe skills have atrophied, but they're, but they're making them better. <clears throat> so I do think the private <clears throat> sector can do this. Um, you know, of course, uh, you know, fund, right. uh, government, educa- uh, government fund, um, uh, investment in education, cares economy issues type that you know that can also help but to the taylor rule in a rules-based architecture jeff lacker joining us the former president of the richmond fed a couple days ago if we haven't had inflation have we simply taken the price change architecture of a higher taylor rule 
clearly evident, and moved it over to assets with a boom in stocks and bond prices up. Yeah, I mean, so certainly, um, you know, lower interest rates um, and a more accommodative Fed certainly does impact uh, a wide range of, of asset prices, you know, and ultimately that's how monetary policy works. Um, you know, and, and you know, on the in, in terms of the effects of that, um, you know, of course, the Fed has models, uh, you know, that 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 think about this and and put it into context. But you know, we do think that that does translate into growth, um, you know, and inflation, quite frankly. And that's yeah. ultimately why the Fed does these policies, right? You know, I think there's another question here about you know, because the Fed's tools are very blunt, how is the sort of distribution of, 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 of prosperity, if you will, how, how is it sort of distributed around the economy? Um, yeah, you know, and I think yeah. that's where fiscal policy can come in and help the Fed, because it is such yeah. a blunt tool to make sure that it's sort of directed at, you know, the areas in particular that need right. the help. Lisa, Apple's trading old Graham Dodd and Cottle at 39 times price to book, seven times price to sales, and it's sliding and rounded up to 25 times price to cash flow. Yeah, this is what we have seen consistently as the prices go up, regardless of the economy. And John Gollop of Credit Suisse this morning discussing how there is this you know, bifurcation between the economy and the stock market. The stock market is not the economy. This is Bloomberg Surveillance. We are speaking with Tiffany Wilding, PIMCO Chief U.S. Economist. Post this jobs report, we are seeing red on the screen. Tiffany, you you talked about wages, and this to me is one of the biggest questions, and I feel like I've been just hammering this uh, again and again, like a, you know, hammering a dead horse. What's the expression? Um, and Friday it does it. Friday before Labor Day, <laughs> we don't care what the expressions are. Good. I'm so glad. <laughs> Tiffany, I'm wondering how much bifurcation there is in the wage scale, how the averages don't capture some of the differentials on, for example, the warehouse staffing picture and the, uh, the retail workers that are getting pretty big wage increases. Are they disproportionately large in a good way for the economy on the lower end? Yeah, I mean, I, I think they are. So we've seen research, um, you know, from economists from the Atlanta Fed. Of course, they have their Atlanta Fed wage tracker as well, which, you know, tries to get out some of these compositional effects that are impacting measures like average hourly earnings. But the research that they've done basically suggests that the lower uh, lower end of the wage spectrum, those jobs are the jobs that are seeing the highest uh, wage gains these days. Um, and, and I agree, that is ultimately a good thing. Um, you know, we want to see measures... Uh, broader measures um, within, uh, you know, the economy, um, labor share of profits. Um, of course, profits can be broken down into the kind of capital share, the stockholder share, and the labor share. And ultimately, you want to see that labor share, um, you know, start to rise again. Of course, it's been on a very secular decline. So, you know, these these kinds of, um, you know, wage increases certainly are, I think, a good thing. Um, you know, of course, uh, Congress has, has sort of talked about raising the minimum wage, <laughs> which, you know, has been, uh, you know, underperforming inflation for quite some time. Um, you know, if ultimately, we don't think that ha- would, will happen. But, you know, of course, states are, are doing this. But I do think that that would also be be a good thing. I mean, you know, so all of these policies are, are quite good now. But in terms of the Fed and what this means for the Fed, you know, I think there it's really yeah. a question of how broad based the uh, in wage in, in inflationary pressures are. Yeah, because what the Fed doesn't want to happen is for us to get in this sort of wage price spiral where you have inflation that's sort of accelerating high 
higher. And we don't think that we're there yet because, again, we're seeing it concentrated in the very lower end of the wage spectrum, which is a good thing. Right. But we haven't seen it be more persistent across the wage spectrum yet, which would suggest that inflation expectations are still relatively anchored. You know, but of course, this is something that we're watching. Yeah. I mean, if, and I think the Fed is watching. Sure. Tiffany, just real quick here. I'm wondering if you think that the, uh, the increases that we've seen on the lower end get it done to quote Tom Keene from earlier this morning, whether they're enough or whether there will be more persistent increases as we try to bridge the gap in missing employees. Well, I mean, you know, the, 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 your question of is it enough is a big one, right? <laughs> so, I mean, for the last, you know, over 30 years, we've seen, you know, what it called labor share of, of total economic profits in this country decline. Um, and, and that's the result of structural issues uh, that, have, that won't change overnight. So, you know, of course, we've had lower unionization, uh, trends toward lower unionization as a result of right-to-work laws across this country. Uh, so these are sort of solidified even, uh, this lower labor bargaining power is solidified you know, in the kind of law in, in, in many states within the country. So it's not going to be an overnight fix, unfortunately, um, you know, to get, uh, you know, kind of these the labor versus capital, uh, mm. you know, to get that more in balance. Yeah. So I don't think, you know, the, is it enough? You know, I think we can always, you know, do more, um, you know, and, and ultimately I think that kind of prosperity for everybody will be good uh, for the broader economy. Mm. Tiffany, thank you so much. Tiffany Welding with PIMCO. Thank you. This is the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. Thanks for listening. Join us live weekdays from 7 to 10 a.m. Eastern on Bloomberg Radio and on Bloomberg Television each day from 6 to 9 a.m. for insight from the best in economics, finance, investment, and international relations. And subscribe to the Surveillance Podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Bloomberg.com, and of course, on The Terminal. I'm Tom Keen, and this is Bloomberg.